Well, all right. Well, open your Bibles this evening to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. The title of this evening's message um, is The Vital Tool of a Saint. The Vital Tool of a Saint. The maxim uh, that that basically reads, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt has been credited to various great orators. Some would say that Abraham Lincoln uh, has gotten the most credit as it was written up in Golden Book uh, in November of 1931 edition that that saying came from Abraham Lincoln. Many suggest that's an error that really cannot be verified. Some say Mark Twain used various um, uh, statements very similar to that. And even Winston Churchill is credited uh, for maybe being the author of that. The, actually, the earliest quote of, of, of this in print was in 1906 by person Maurice Switzer in a book called Mrs. Goose, Her Book. So there was a lot of Proverbs in that book. I have not read that book. You may have read that book. In 1893, a New York newspaper article titled Jewels of Thought included a similar maxim that said this. It is better to remain silent than to speak ill-humoredly and spoil an excellent dish by covering it with a bad sauce. I like that. That's a, that's a pretty cool one. Uh, but regardless of the origin, this quote suggests the power of our speech. It, it suggests how that w- what we're saying can be used to judge who we are. Uh, and, and it also can be used to say what kind of things that can be caused or, or, or reactions to those that, that hear us speak. Um, actually, this fact is very much documented in the Word of God in Proverbs seventeen twenty eight. It says this, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Now, this is not a command by God to keep your mouth shut. I mean, that's not what God is really saying there. Rather, what he is saying here in this proverb is, is not to speak if you just don't know what you're talking about. I mean, you know, people who just like to talk. I mean, they've got something to say about everything. But what he's saying here is just, you know, if you don't know what you're talking about, it's be better just to, to, to stay silent. Or if you don't really have anything good to say, it, it might be good not to speak either. Um once again, we need to understand that our words have power. Our words have power. The words that you speak have power. They can direct the mind. They can quiet the soul. They can enrage the spirit. They can bring solace. They can really even bring peace to a restless heart. We need to understand the power of our words. Paul states when he is talking about those desiring to speak in tongues, he says that all words have meaning. In 1 Corinthians 14.10, he says, there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. In other words, everything that's said has some kind of meaning, and it's, it, it is forecasting something that's going on. Wow, I just saw someone that I hadn't really seen earlier, and it kind of took me back. So tonight, we're going to look how Paul, in in his final directives of of living out the Christian life, uh, that your mouth has confessed. He's, He's told us in these chapters of how to live out what you confess. He gives us four directives on how to use the mouth as a tool to strengthen your soul. How to use it as a tool to spread the gospel, to, to glorify God to the, in, the, in the world around you. 
So he gives us four directives for believers on how to use your mouth. Number one, communicating with God. Number two, communicating the needs of others, communicating to others, and then communicating rightly. Paul, speaking to the saints in in the church of of Colossae, he begins this letter that we have uh, ventured into on several occasions, commending them for their faith that they have exhibited and the hope that is in them ever since they have heard the gospel and believed into the gospel. It had produced a change in their life, and he has continued to pray for them that they would, in Colossians 1.9, be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Man, that is quite a commendation. He has warned them, though, to not let anyone delude them with some persuasive arguments, not to be held captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions. Don't let people come in and, 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 you know, with their own intellect and their own philosophy, change what the Word of God says and direct you off into another path. He directs them to set their mind, in chapter 3, on things above. Consider your body dead to sins of this world. Put sins and evil aside. Lay aside the old self, that old person, that, that old flesh. It, it's a battle in our life every day of our life, to set aside that old flesh. And he says, put on the new self. Putting on the fruit of a new heart, compassion, humility, kindness, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, put on love, he even says. He goes on to write, let peace umpire, or let it rule in your heart, doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to talk about living it out in the home. He says, wives... Submit to husband. Husbands, love your wives. Children, be obedient to your parents and masters and slaves. Work together as unto the Lord. These are all the things that he has said to us to how to live out the profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So now, Paul, after giving us all this insight and truth about our salvation, after giving the picture of that born-again life, after giving us the correct understanding of what a Christian life actually looks like, Paul gives this final command on how we're to use our mouth to be an agent of Christ, to be a source of power to take the gospel out to the world, to to, to be a Christ-like tool that will glorify God and in and his message to those around us, Paul is saying, you as a born-again believer, as a person of Christ, as a person who, who is believed into Christ, can affect those around you and do affect those around you. Our mouth is a vital tool of communication. Our words have power. We must, as believers, understand how Christ desires us to communicate with it. So let me just begin reading here in in chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. And and we're going to look tonight at just these verses 2 through 6. He begins here, devote yourselves to prayer. Keep alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. He says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So we begin just, how do we communicate with God? How do we communicate with God? Here in verse 2, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. 
being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul begins with this summation of this letter directing Christians to live out their profession as Christ lived out his own life. And here in this verse, he says, instructing them to pray. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, not just to pray on occasion, not just pray when you get in trouble, but continue steadfastly in prayer. The, the, the word used here continuously means constant. It, it means to be busily engaged in. The word continue or devote in the, is in the present tense, which demands an ongoing, it means a steady, habitual prayer. This is what he is telling us to do here. Paul uses the same word to describe our practice of prayer in his letter to the church in Rome. In Romans 12, he says, Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and then he says, devoted, being steadfast, continuing in prayer. This word is used ten times in the New Testament to devote oneself, and six of those ten times, it refers to prayer. Prayer is significant. Our communication with God is it's, it's significant. It's significant. We need to understand that every word that we have has an impact. Your conversation has an impact. Paul says that one of the most important and overarching practices, though, in a believer's life is to continually busy ourselves with prayer. Christian life is against the grain of this world. You know, there's so many people think and advertise that, you know, come to Christ, your worries are over, your problems are all going away. How is that working out for you? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because Christian life is against the grain of this world, and even our own natural flesh comes against us at times. It's amazing how that works. To be steadfast in our walk of faith, to, to fight that battle of living this new life, being that new man demands that we be steadfast in our time before the Lord. That's what Paul is telling us here. Prayer is one of those God-given graces that we have to access the power from on high to defeat those battles, to be, to be successful in those battles in our spiritual life, Paul states in prayer, prayer to God, praying to God. Do we understand that when we read the Bible, when we read the Bible, and we, we, every one of us have taught this, God's word is God speaking to you. That's what the Bible is. Uh, you've heard me say it, and it's not original, that if you want to hear God's voice, just read God's word out loud. It's God's word speaking to you. But prayer is the opposite. Prayer is you talking to God. Prayer is you talking to God. When we come to Christ in salvation, we come into this fellowship with God through Christ. We become part of God's family. He is our Father. And so our Father loves to hear from you. Our Father loves to hear from you. You know, a parent likes nothing more than to look at caller ID and see one of their children. That's one of their children calling. And their Father in heaven is the same way. He wants to hear from you. He knows what is going on in your life. See, that's a difference than, than the parents here on earth. We don't really know what's going on. Well, the mom normally does, but... The dad, you know, we, we hardly ever know what's going on. But the reality of it is your father in heaven knows what's going on in your life. He doesn't need anyone to tell him what's going on in your life. But he loves to hear you uh, tell him about it. He loves to hear you just call him up and tell him about it. Do you not like, now I'm speaking as a grandparent and and it's been long ago, even as a father, don't you like when you know exactly what they're talking about, they're coming and they're explaining it, whatever went on in their own words? 
You know, that's just a fabulous thing. I mean, it's a crazy thing, but this is what God likes. He, he wants to hear about your struggles. He wants to hear about your desires. He wants to hear about your insecurities. He wants to hear about your needs. I mean, we're so bashful at times to go before the Lord and tell him about our needs. I mean, you could be a wimp. It doesn't matter. You know, we all have needs. Prayer is not for God's benefit. I mean, you know, he is, it's not for his benefit. He already knows all. It is for our sake. It's for our sake. So part of the fellowship with God is communicating with him. We can use our tongue to communicate with him. Paul instructs that if we are to live life, the life that that he has just described in three chapters, we're going to need some help. We're going to need some help. Then we must continually be steadfast in prayer. If we're going to put to death the evil practices of the flesh, put on the new self that is being renewed in the image of Christ, we must busy ourselves, busy ourselves with conversing with God. We need his power. You need his power. Paul says not just as on occasion, but, but he says here continuous. This is to be a believer's stance on prayer. We, we need to have an urgency. We need to have a need. We need to have it in our hearts that we need to be before our Father. Scripture actually says pray continually. Pray continually. Now, Obviously, we know that doesn't mean that we need to be on our knees at some altar somewhere praying all the time. We have to work. But we need to keep our mindset that that prayer is communicating with God. Communicating with God. You know, this word here for prayer also means petitioning God, asking for what you need, petitioning Him. Not Don't get, get too demanding, but petitioning. Petitioning him. We can, it also can re- relate to the word confiding in him. Confiding in him. Com- coming to him as a child. You know, I- admitting that you're inadequate for the task ahead. It's okay. It's okay. You know, coming to him for help. Believers are meant to converse with God continually. It is part of who we are in Christ who we are in Christ. Jesus stepped away from the crowd multiple times in Scripture, and he prayed. Uh, he, he talked to the Father. In, in his de- deity, he needed nothing. He was God. He did not need anything as God. But in his humanity, in his humanity, he was refreshed. He was strengthened in his time with the Father. And that's what he did. And he left us this same model. This is what we're to be doing. Paul says, keeping alert in it. Alert. It means vigilant. It means attention, giving strict attention to what is going on here. Literally, it means keep your eyes open in prayer. Keep your eyes open in prayer. Sometimes we, we, we you know, we're, we're praying particularly grace or something, and your eyes kind of open, and you got one of your children over here kind of, you know, and so both of you guys, you've got your eyes open. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what he's talking about here. He says, keep your eyes open, keep your mind. Metaphorically, it means to be on alert or watchful in what is happening in your heart. Be alert to what is happening in your life. Be alert as what's going on in the world around you. When you come before the Lord, we need to understand what is going on. What are my needs? What, what's going on in my life today? This is, we're going to have a conversation. What is going on in your life? It's sort of like when you walk in to, to see your doctor for that checkup, and he says, you know, what, what's happening with you? And you're like, nothing, nothing, nothing. You know, how's your bowels? Now then, we're getting into some really big talk there. Well, you know, I got a little problem with that. You know, how's, how's that back doing? I mean, they have to pump it out. And that's how we are with God in prayer. You know, when we come to him in prayer, 
We need to be, be alert in what is going on in our life. We need to be alert in what's going on in those around us. We need to be alert of what is going on in the world around us. And we need to converse with God about those issues. Being alert, keeping alert is, is used in several different contexts in the New Testament. In Acts 20, it, it, church leaders are to be alert to watch over the flock. Watchful. Make sure that they're not living out on the periphery. And 1 Thessalonians is talking about being alert in the last days, looking around. Look at the signs of what's going on. Matthew 24, be alert for the coming of Christ. So what is Paul instructing us here? Is it to be alert? Nothing steals you away from disciplined prayer. Does it describe how we are to pray with alertness? Does it mean to stay awake with regards to the dangers or that, that, that come upon the believer? And we can look at this over and over again, but just like I said, Paul would agree with all of these things, yes to each one. Yes, be alert to what's going on in your life. Paul continues with another qualifier for prayer. Look what he says here, with thanksgiving. We're to be coming in prayer with thanksgiving. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving to maintain an attitude of, uh, of thanksgiving in our prayers while staying alert. In Colossians 2, 7, the same word, it means with gratitude. With gratitude. When we go before the Lord, we need to come to the Lord with some gratitude. Look at all the things that God has given you. You know, we can get down in the dumps sometimes, but when we come before the Lord... We need to start thinking about, well, think about what God has given you. Let's not be looking at, you know, so many times we look at what we don't have. You know, I just, man, I just would have had a new car. You know, I wish that furnace hadn't broken. I, I, I wish, man, I didn't have that, caught the flu last week. But you got life. You have family. You have salvation. Come in some gratitude. Paul is saying, be alert with thanksgiving. Be alert with thanksgiving. He's instructing us not to just have an attitude of gratitude, but to, to actively give thanks to God in prayer. When you start thanking God for what he has given to you, I'm going to tell you, it's going to change your mind about some things going on in your life. You ever find that? You ever find that so? You know, you come, you got a whole list of I wants, and then all of a sudden you start thanking him for what he has given you, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, let's just kind of move those things off. Let's just move those things off. Well, let's put some prioritization in those things. Paul is saying you, you, you need to come. You need to come in thanks. There's one point is for certain as we come before God in prayer, thanksgiving should always be in our heart, be, to be thankful that, that, that we can even come before God. Do you understand who you're coming before? Are you thankful that, that, that he is the king of kings and he said, come unto me, come to me? Thankful that he actually hears and he actually listens to you? How many people actually listen to you? He hears your prayers, and he has the power and the desire to, to give what his children are asking for. He's not a mean old cratchety man. He's not Christmas Scrooge. I mean, he, he wants to give you things. We, we come to him in thankfulness and remembrance of the many times before that he has answered your prayers. As we go through this list every Wednesday night, you know, I'm just amazed. And, 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 you know, I, I don't know, I've thought about this before that because we have this little meeting in the afternoon. Diane brings the thing to me and I take everybody's little thing that they've sent in. I scratch things off because, as I was telling a person earlier, I mean, when you show up back at church, we, we kind of think that you're healed. <laughs> you know, it's not that we don't need to keep praying for you, but, you know, there's we put significant things over here. But, you know, we really need a column over here to say, look at this. Look at this, look at this, look at this. Maybe some Wednesday night we just need to have a prayer time that says, I'm thankful for, fill in the blank. Maybe, and that, maybe, maybe that's what we do next Thanksgiving. 
I think I'm out of town next Thanksgiving already, but anyway, maybe we'll do that sometimes. It's just a good idea. So, so once again, being thankfulness, he's saying we need to come. This is how we need to communicate with God. This is how we need to use our mouth to communicate. It is a tool of power. Is a tool for power over over the, the what is going on in your life, the problems that are going on. You can be praying for the things of this world, be thinking about the people in your life. All of these things. So then he goes on in verse three. He's talking about communicating the needs of others, communicating those needs of others. Look 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 what he says here uh, in, in verse three. Praying at the same time. For us as well, that God would open up to us a door for the word. Now, Paul, he has given us a directive here of what we should think about praying for. He's like, okay, you've got all these things here. I'm going to add one more thing on here. I'm going to add this thing on it. He says, you know, is it, you know, once again, we need to look at what are your needs? Take them to the Lord. What are the needs of others around you? Do you take them to the Lord? And Paul is coming here, he's making a personal request to the readers of this letter to offer up prayers on his behalf. Okay, and listen, let's listen to what he's saying, sorry. He says, at the same time, pray. Pray that God may open up, open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ an account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul says, at the same time, while you are praying, while you are communicating your needs, you're communicating your petitions before God, pray for others also. Pray for others also. Paul believed in the power of prayer. He isn't just telling us to do this. He's just not mandating that we do this so that we can fill up the conversation that you have with God. He believes in the power of prayer, and this is something that we need to understand. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Because if you pray not believing, then truly, Scripture says we're basically wasting our breath. Paul specifically asks the Colossae believers to pray for him and Timothy and their ministry. This is what he's asking here. Now, we can and do at times become lost really in our own desires, in our own needs as we are before the throne of God. But Paul commands us here to be alert in the needs of the kingdom of God also. What does the kingdom of God need right now? Even as you start thinking about that, how can you plug into that? This is all, once again, this conversation brings to mind. In doing such, Paul really gives us an insight of what an attitude should be and just how vital your prayers are. Just how vital they are for the advancement of God's kingdom. Paul is saying, pray for our ministry. Pray for our ministry. Do do you think about that in your prayers? Do you pray for the message of the gospel to be heard and to have an impact in your prayers? Paul says, do this. Do this. You know, Paul is in prison at the time of of writing this letter, we believe. He was on house arrest at the time. But regardless of the actual condition of his imprisonment, on the human side, if you're in prison, what's going to be your prayer? Get me out of here. You know, if I slam my hand in a door, you know what my prayer is? Get my hand out of the door. But that's not what that's not what he prayed for. That's not what he asked. Now, it would be a typical prayer if you're in prison is do something to get me out of here, God. And, you know, I can imagine that prayer. If you love me, get me out of here, God. But that's not what he said. Look what he says here. Paul was thankful, really, to God for the change, knowing that God was in control of everything going on in his life and everything that would 
befall him, God was in control all of that. In Philippians 1.12, let me tell you, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has served to the advance of the gospel. Paul was not complaining about being in prison. He wasn't complaining. Paul was thankful in all circumstances. Romans 8.28, it says that, and we know, we know that, that those who love God, all things work to good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, all things are not good. Being in prison is not good. Paul says, I know that all things in my life work to good. What's going on in your life today? I mean, if you could prioritize one through five, which one would you get off? Do you understand that everything going on in your life today, whether it's sickness, financial ills, relationship problems, all of those things, that God has allowed those in your life? All things work to good. All things work to good. Paul knew that. So he wasn't complaining about his circumstance. Here he asks, he says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. He's once again, at the same time, as you're in doing that devout, uh, your steadfast prayer, as you're continuing in thanksgiving, make intercession for this. And, and so he's not praying that, that there's something concerning us. He's not saying, make sure I get food, make sure I get this. He's not asking on behalf of himself. He's, he's not even asking that the doors of the prison will fly open and they can all get out of there. Paul's prayer was that God would open a door for the word. His request is for, for something that only God can and must do. It is a supernatural work that he's asking for. Only God has the power to answer these kind of prayers. If it's God's will to do that, he will, and Paul understands that. So what is to be opened? This, this word, a door for the word. What is that word? Well, that's a metaphor. He's, and it says, and maybe even your translation says an opportunity. That door is an opportunity. And the word is a metaphor for the message of the gospel. So what he's praying for is pray that we have an opportunity for the message of the gospel. Now, he's not asking how God would intervene to make all of this happen here. How God would do it. Maybe God would free them. Maybe God would give them an audience with those in the prison. He didn't really care. Paul had been called to preach the gospel to the lost world. That was his calling. He was actually called to take it to the Gentiles. The ministry truly never comes without resistance. If you're in the ministry today, particularly, I mean, if you're in, in, in the leading of ministry, you need to understand, and we all understand, it is not without resistance. So Paul, Paul wasn't worried about those things. Paul was called to preach, and he knew there would always uh, be hurdles. He says, sometimes there's adversaries. In 1 Corinthians 16, he says, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective service has opened to me. And then he says this, and there are many adversaries. I mean, and it happened to Paul all the time. He goes on and says, sometimes it's just not God's will for a door to open up. He saw this in his own life. In Acts 16, it talks about that. They went through the region of Phrygia in, in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. It was on in verse 7 in Acts 16, and when they had come up to Mycenae, that they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Sometimes it's not God's will for that door to open up, but we can still pray for it. Paul wasn't asking for opportunity that was easy. He would just desire to accomplish God's message, to accomplish God's will there and now. That's what he wanted to happen, to declare the mystery of Christ. Uh, and that's the reason he's in jail. Prayer, uh, preaching the gospel was the reason that 
that Paul's in jail at this point. Prayer was to, to open the door for him to preach it again. He was not going to give up. And it's just not to preach, but the word would be made clear. Look at this in verse 4, that I may make it clear, that I may make it clear which how I ought to speak. That it's going to be clear. It's not just to be a making. Paul desired that he would just not talk about Christ, but that what he was speaking would be made clear that those listening would understand the brevity even of the message. The brevity of the message, that they would understand their, their lost condition. That they would understand that Jesus was their only hope. They would understand that Jesus would forgive them, that Jesus would give them eternal life. He wanted them to, to understand with clarity the message that he was preaching. So it's a twofold thing. He was looking for opportunity, and he is praying that God would soften their hearts. You know, that's my personal prayer every time I, I, I step into this pulpit. And truly, that should be the prayer of every preacher. Every preacher that steps before his people. I mean, we're not here to talk about world events. We're not here to talk about social matters. We're not here to talk about politics. We're here to talk about the mystery of Christ, the gospel message. And it needs to be clear. And you know when it's clear, it does cut. It cuts. And it can make you uncomfortable at times. Paul says, give me opportunity. God, make the message of Christ that I speak clear. That's what he wants them to pray for. You know, you want to know what to pray for on Sunday morning? Pray for that. You don't know what to pray for on Saturday night? Pray for that. Pray for every time that you come into this building and someone walks up to this, to this pulpit, that that message will be clear. You know, my, my prayer is, is, is usually that God, what I've messed up, that you will clear up. I mean, that's just it. That's it. You know, it, it, it's not the great oration from the mouth of the preacher. It's all God. It's all God. It's all God. Paul's request was that while you are being devoted to prayer for yourself, remember others. He says, remember me. Remember the gospel. That's what he's saying. And he goes on to talk about communicating to others in verse 5. I mean, he just didn't leave you there. Now we're transitioning here. You were talking to God, communicating with God. You're, he tells us what to communicate, things to, to, to lift up before him, how to do it. Now he's going to talk to us about communicating to others. He goes, he, he continues to build on that foundation that, it, that he has laid in the teaching of Christ. He continues to, to instruct how you to live out the message of the gospel as you live before others. We have a responsibility to live out that gospel. So he moves from prayer for ourselves in the gospel to using our mouth and our life as a witness to those outside the faith. Look what he says in verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. And that word walk here, it means how you live, how you conduct your, your life. We, we, we are commanded to, to let your life be seen. Let your conduct communicate in a certain way towards outsiders. Towards outsiders. Now, that, that walk in wisdom, that, that means full of intelligence. This proper prudence, it, it says, in relation with men that are not disciples of Christ. Outsiders is referring to those outside the family of God. He's talking about non-Christians, unbelievers. That's what he's talking about here. How many times do you think about your responsibility to unbelievers? Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. This imperative statement says, walk or live in wisdom. Does your life and conversations 
communicate wisdom? Does that what people get out of hearing you talk? It, it, it's a challenge to all of us. Is that what, that what communicates if we're standing with our friends outside or by the water cooler at work in that break room? Is that what your conversation is communicating? Wisdom is a thread of truth that really runs through this whole letter in Colossians. Colossians 1.9, praying that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Does your conversations relay wisdom? Paul proclaimed Christ in Colossians 1. He says, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Wisdom. Colossians themselves, they they were to let the word of Christ dwell richly in them, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So wisdom is not just understanding about Christ or even understanding about the gospel. Wisdom is applying the teaching of Christ to your everyday life. I know plenty of people who can recite more more verses than definitely I can. I've been in meetings with people, and and man, verses are coming out. It's just like like a random generator. But they have no idea how it applies to the situation, or any idea how it applies to their life, and they definitely are not using it to live by in their life. Paul is saying that it needs to, you need to live, you need to walk, you need to talk with wisdom. The gospel needs to come out of us in wisdom. Paul commands that in the relationships with the world around us, to, to, to carry ourselves with, with the wisdom of Christ. How do you carry yourself during the day? You know, Christ considered all men walking in humility, with grace with all people, living out the gospel throughout your daily walk. Your interpersonal relationship with people. Paul gives another imperative to how we are to conduct ourselves. Look what he says. He goes on to talk about making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time. Now, he's prayed for opportunities. So now, all of a sudden, you've got an opportunity. You always have an opportunity as you are talking. People are listening. So he's saying, make the best use of that time. Make the best use of that time. Making the most of the opportunity. The literal interpretation is the time redeeming. It's the opposite, really, of what our natural man desires to do, isn't it? Well, you know, what we desire to do is to avoid lost people, stay away from them, uh, sidestep any uncomfortable conversations. I don't want to get into that. That's the natural man. But part of putting on that new man is taking every opportunity that you can find to live out the gospel before that lost world, that opportunity to serve the purpose of God in our lives. And this is what Paul is is telling you. It's imperative. We do this by taking every opportunity to live out and to speak the gospel to unbelievers. All of us. Everyone here tonight, we only have so much time. Some of us are older than others. We have less time in front of us. I I, I definitely believe that I'm at least half through my life. Maybe two-thirds. I don't really know. You don't know. You really don't know. Young folk, I was your age at one point. Not everybody that I knew at that time is with me now. We only have so much Paul. Paul says, don't waste it. Don't waste time. Redeem it for Christ's sake. Galatians 6.10, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and to especially those who are the household of faith. I mean, be busy with God's work, taking care of God's people, but the outsiders also. Outsiders also. John's, in John's gospel, chapter 9, Jesus says, we must work the works of him who, 
who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. I mean, he's not talking about the sun going down. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about our own days being numbered. We only have so much time to do the work he has ordained for us to do. So we are to walk and we are to talk with wisdom in this lost world. Making the most of the time that you have. Making most of the opportunities you have. And then lastly, number four, communicating rightly. How to use that tool of your mouth rightly. And, you know, he wraps it up here in this application of the gospel to our life, giving command to, to communicate. How do you communicate? To communicate rightly. We, we know there are ways to communicate that will incite people. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to do it. You're an Alabama friend. We, we, can, we can do it. We can just start picking a little bit, you know. It'll happen. We can incite. You're an Auburn fan. Definitely, we can incite. There, but there, there's always a way that you can soothe the conversation. I, I talked to a friend of mine the other day that I hadn't talked to in like 12 years. We're really close. Um, but we, we've been friends for a long time. And he is a big Alabama fan. And he said, yeah, Alabama did good. He goes, you know, those Ohio State guys, they did pretty good. And I'm like, really? We lost. <laughs> but, you know, it was just, it was a, it was a good thing. I, I, you know, I hung up with the phone and I thought about that because normally him and I would argue about that. But yeah, there's once again, you know that there's a way to communicate that incites and there's a way that soothes and leads in the conversation. Do you understand that? So here in verse 6, it says, let your speech always be gracious. Season with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That word speech, is a, the word there is logos. And when we all think about logos, we, we think about communicating the gospel. We think about the word of God. In this context, he is, he is referring particularly to your speech with the unbelieving world. Okay, that's what he's talking about. So, I mean... We, we think it could be the word of Christ. Paul uses this same word uh, it, it, to mean the gospel in his letter in two other places. In, 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 in chapter 1, verse 5, refers to the gospel, the word of truth. He uses the word logos. In, in verse 25 there, referring again to the gospel, preaching the word of God. But also he uses the word logos to just talk about general conversation. Just general conversation, referring to all speech. It's, he, he said in verses uh, in chapter three seventeen, he says, "Whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing in word, this is just typical talk." So your typical conversation. This is what he's saying. Your typical conversation, your regular conversation, whether it's just regular talk or whether it's presenting the gospel, that it needs to be gracious. It needs to be seasoned with salt. That's an interesting thought. That is an interesting thought. Paul, in this imperative, is referring to all speech, sharing the gospel or daily conversation. Paul says your speech, your speech. You know, you cannot control what other people say in, in, in conversations. We all know that. We, we also know, according to Scripture, that you don't even have the power to control your own tongue. James Three says, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. And there are no perfect men. So we need to understand that even in our own conversation, the only way that we can control it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so once again, there, there's a reason to be in prayer, isn't it? Reason to be in prayer. To use that tongue, to bring that tongue under control. He says, your speech should always be gracious. In other words, with grace. And that word always gives us an idea that we need to, to guard continuously to make that happen in your conversation. That's just not going to happen. You're not going to be so smooth and so put together and so with it 
that, you know, it's just, just going to slide off. You're always just going to be so smooth. He said, you need to be guarded in this. You need to watch what you're saying. There needs to be grace in what you're saying. We need to watch and guard and make it happen in our conversation. You know, the world is always watching you. You are always being listened to by the world, particularly the lost people. They are always looking because your actual testimony is an accusation against their own life. So they're always watching you. They're always listening to you. Therefore, you have to be alert. You must watch every word because all of those words matter. We've already talked about that. All of your words matter. What you're saying matters. How you say it matters. Your complaining matters. Your joking around matters. He says, your speech must be with grace. All your words in every conversation are essential. Unbelievers, they're listening. They're hanging on every word at time. They're hanging all your words. So we must choose our words carefully. Gracious means our speech should be saturated, empowered by grace from the Holy Spirit, who is the only way we're ever really going to control our own tongue. It's got to be saturated. That word grace, that word grace in itself, charis is, is a word that, that which affords joy. Pleasure, sweetness. Have you ever thought about your conversation in that way? Paul says it needs to be filled with grace, joy, pleasure, sweetness. Our conversation should be aimed at bringing joy to the listener. And I, I confess, I'm not always thinking about that, you know, at times. But Paul says you need to be because they're listening to everything you're saying. You know, we're only going to do that with God's grace working in us. He goes on to say season with salt. And once of that, again, that, that word season with salt is a metaphor of just how gracious speech actually sounds like. When we think about that seasoning with salt, you know, you know Jesus talked about his disciples that, that they are to be the salt of the earth. And that, you know, the salt in that ancient world, it, it was for food. And salt makes food taste pretty good, I think. But it also was for preservation, preserving things. So this is to be illustrative of just, just how their lives, that disciple's life should have, the effect it should have on the world around them. That it would bring for it would taste good, you know, and that it would be, you know, preserving it would bring life to those around him so so paul is seasoned here is gives the idea is giving uh, to our own speech that that what you're saying is consumable it, it's edible okay i can tolerate what you're saying it's beneficial to the unbelieving world is what you is your conversations benefiting the people standing around you that's what Paul is saying. He's not referring to entertaining the believer, you know, but that what would profit them spiritually. Profit them spiritually. So season with salt, it preempts, you know, coming up with just useless arguments. I mean, there's just things, there's just no use to argue about. Season with salt, speeches that you engage the listener, you entice them to desire to hear more. Even when you're giving the gospel, you don't want to start off that you're dying and going to hell. Now, there might be a time to say that, but that's not a good approach. That's not that lead-in conversation. Season with salt. Season with salt. It's not clever speech. That's not what we're talking about here. You know, we, we, we want the cross of Christ to be lifted up. We, we don't want it to be made bold. Paul is commanding that we use words wisely, making the best use of the time, as he said in verse 5. You know, it's foolish, really, to, to, to be in conversations and, and to communicate what you already know is going to incite this person. You don't start there. Or, you know, or, or that you're using words that they're likely never going to really understand. You know, all kinds of things. 
you know, we, we therefore must stay away from, from your own opinion. You know, my opinion is this. You need to stay away from that. We need to stick with God's word. Stick with God's word. That's what you want them to remember. That's what you want them to remember. The goal is to use wisdom so that you, you, you may know how you ought to answer each person. Look what he's saying here. James said, know this, my beloved brother, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Quick to hear and slow to speech. How you ought to answer is how you ought to respond to the questions of this unbeliever relative to the gospel of Christ. Regarding the faith in Christ, there, there, there is a way that we are to respond and we are to be, be prepared really to do it in grace. There is a way that we need to respond to the lost world and we need to study God's word. We need to be in his word to be able to give a defense, Peter said in 1 Peter. Be ready to give a defense for the one who has brought you salvation. But you need to be ready to give it with grace. Paul's prayer, his request was that it would be made clear. So when you are speaking, you need to be make it clear. It needs to be palatable. It needs to be with grace. You know, we have an obligation of how we should reply to unbelievers' questions about the gospel. There's no cookie-cutter way to do this. We always want some just, you know, perfect little way to do it. There's no perfect way to do it. You know what you need to do? And what Paul is talking to here, we must be specific to each person. Who are they? Who are you talking to? Where are they at? Where are they at with the gospel? Be quick to listen. Listen to what they are saying. Paul is commanding real spirit-filled wisdom and grace to be applied to each specific encounter with unbelievers. That's what he's saying here. And you need to be watching what your conversations are having when, when people are just listening to you. We are to know God's word. And we are to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to really give us wisdom, to give us grace, to make the most of every opportunity that we have to do the work of Christ, to make every opportunity that we have to share God's word with those outside, the outsiders. You know, that's what we pray every Wednesday night. Every Wednesday night. So we pray that God will use what's being poured into you, that you would take it to the lost world. Why do you know why, what? What do we have this for? Why are you even left here? We must be on alert in our conversations, not to produce an offense for the gospel. There's times that you can get in conversations, and people are going to hear that, and maybe two months later, you know, they're going to remember what you said when maybe you have that opportunity. Paul says, be careful. Make all of your conversations with grace. This is not to be clever speech, but it's to be intentional. It's to be compassionate so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, if you're one of those that believe that it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and to remove all doubt, then you need to be in more conversations with the Lord. You need to spend more time with the Lord. You need to, to, to being silent. It, it may be being silent may allow you to, to not be thought a fool, but really being silent renders you worthless for the kingdom of God. We must be in the word of God. We must be rehearsing the word of God. We must be depending on the power of God in how we walk in this life, how we converse with people in this life. And we must do this to make your mouth a vital tool for a saint of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, just for the opportunity to even hear how you would want us to use our mouth. Lord, I pray that each one of us, dear God, would take inventory, Lord, of our conversations and just our thought processes in these that we would think about even the conversations that we had today. Are they filled with grace or are they seasoned with salt? 
Lord, help each one of us. Every one of us have an issue at times, dear God, which letting our mouth just, just run away with us. Father, your word tells us how difficult it is to control our own tongue. We can't do these things outside of your power. So, Father, help us to come to you often. Help us to admit our inadequacies. Help us, Father, to remember others as we're before you. Help us to remember to pray for the gospel, that it would have an effect. Father, that people would see it in our lives. They would hear it in our conversation. They would desire to understand it. Father, we pray that what was said here tonight, that where I'm inadequate, that you would be adequate. You would fill in those voids. And that what we have said would bring glory and honor to you. In Christ we pray. Amen.